Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. And joining us this morning to break it all down is Willie King, the founder of Dividend Titan. Good morning, Willie. How are you doing so far? Hey, good morning, Dan. I mean, I had a great break from the weekend. I mean, it's a Monday morning, and you know what? As a father of two kids, mm-hmm. um, you know sometimes it's just so joyful to 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 see my kids just playing with other friends mm. because we we actually went down to a birthday party and interestingly the place as I was just sharing with Lynn yeah the 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 swimming so it was at a swimming pool party and it was located at a rooftop of oh. an old industrial building so apparently a lot of the office tenants are able to actually go there and enjoy you know um, have a swim. After their work break. Wow, investments everywhere. Uh, well, thanks a lot for that, uh, for sharing with us what happened uh, with your stories over uh, over this weekend, Willie. Now we first turn our attention over to the US, where yet again we're seeing stocks flashing, uh, stocks flashing across markets again, and signs of recession flashing all across the markets. US small cap and industrial s- stocks are all dropping, typically signals of a recession. But in a year where equities have already beaten expectations, some investors are dismissing the fact that the moves are probably a little bit more than noise for now. So what do you make of this latest market development, especially amongst small caps shares? And how convinced are you that a recession is just around the corner? Mm. So if you look at the... S&P 500 Industrial Index, which actually tracks the in, the top industrial stocks and also the small cap as well. It yeah. actually picked in early August and is down 8.8% since then. So this was really because um, a lot of the major US carriers, they have actually cut their profit outlooks for the third quarter. Um, the small cap Russell 2000 Index has lost more than 11% from its end July closing. Um, this is actually roughly twice the decline in the S&P 500 Index over the same time. So this kind of big drops right mm. then um, in small cap stocks, industrial stocks, they typically occur um, when the economy is potentially in a recession. Because number one, small cap stocks, they tend to be much smaller than their peers, uh, which means that they are actually less resilient to the economy. Mm. And also at the same time, they also have less diversified business lines as compared to their peers as well. Mm -hmm. And for industrial stocks, it's also probably the same because they also have a slightly less diversified businesses. So this makes them sort of a more riskier bet in times of economic uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So that's on one hand which we are looking at. But on the other hand, you're also looking at uh, buying opportunities because investors, perhaps contrarian investors, they tend to actually look at this as more of a buying opportunity because mm. if you see there are many approaches to investing in the stock market, you know, you can actually look at it from a more short-term um, trade or short-term play where you're just monitoring how the price have moved. But on the other hand, you have also investors, for example, like myself, where I see um, stocks as shares as underlying businesses, right? So we are looking at businesses so regardless of where the stock market is going, as long as the businesses, they, they tend to actually have a very steady operation Mm. that could actually provide an opportunity or rather, you know, buying things at a discount um, from where their their business value is. So, mm. so far, you know, from what I've read, uh, forecasters so far, they're predicting um, economic growth could actually slow down in the middle of next year in 2024 and then having to pick up to pick back up again. Mm. Very interesting point you put you, you put out there. And yeah, there are usually two sides to the coin and see whether you're willing to take the risk. Now, just when you think that things couldn't get any worse, according to Goldman Sachs, credit card companies are racking up losses at the fastest pace in almost 30 years. And that's outside of the great financial crisis as well. And the firm predicts that the loss is far from over. So, Willie, how concerning is this news to you? And what does history suggest would happen during a credit card loss cycle? Mm, I think there are two ways of looking at it. So I think in terms of credit card losses, sometimes Mm. it also could 
be due to the spending habits. I mean, if you see on the how how US the US economy is, uh, many of these credit card companies when they rack up losses at the fastest pace um, in almost thirty years, sometimes this could be a prelude to a potential uh, recession. Because mm. if you see from where it is. Um, like what, what, like some analysts or some economists are saying that uh, some of these cycles, they, it re- represents the characteristics of what was experienced in the late 1990s and somewhat similar to the 15 and 19 cycle where losses increase following a period of strong loan growth mm. and has also seen similar pace of normalization uh, for this cycle. So what this means is that, you know, over the last 15 to 20 years, there has been, because we, we were in a low interest rate environment, mm. which means that a lot of these banks, right, they were growing their loans very, very aggressively and as a result they are also lending credit card loans to many of the population um, in the broader economy and that also results in some form of um, loan delinquencies but if you see um, the amount might not be a very huge amount so the loan losses is roughly about 3.6% the credit card losses currently stands at three three point six percent. So if you compare across, let's say, um, corporate loans, housing loans, this might not be in an absolute amount. It might not be the biggest amount here, mm. uh, which also points out that you know, as long as banks they are able to diversify their loans accordingly, um, the financial institutions, if you think about it, it could still be uh, in a rather safety position. So compared to the great financial crisis, it could be different because if you see from since 2007, yeah. many of the banks, they have been aggressively leveraging up. That means they've been mm. borrowing a lot. But if you see now, right, a lot of the financial institutions, the banks, they have actually shore up their capital. That means they have strictly control how much loans they are actually lending out. That's one. And they're mm. actually putting more capital uh, in their assets, which means that it has to be more financially, their financial position has to be much stronger um, as compared bef- to, to before. So while credit card losses have actually increased, but at the same time, um, if you see many of these financial institutions, they are still able to actually weather out, you know, mm. if let's say um, that there could be a switch or downturn um, in the economy. Okay. All right. Interestingly as well, I mean, I like that you mentioned uh, about how previously, you you know, we have got um, economists uh, predicting that the economic growth would slow through the middle of next year and then pick up back again. And it's contrasting with what, you know, during the previous FOMC meeting just last week, the Federal Reserve said that it is forecasting stronger economic growth than expected just a few months ago. So let's take a broader look at things and the current market sentiments and with earnings season only just a few weeks away. What are your expectations moving forward towards the end of this year for US markets, Willie? Mm. So when we look at corporate earnings, um, there are a couple of there are a few things to take note. So number one, with the Fed's announcement that they're actually putting rates higher for longer, mm. which means that interest cost is going to remain high for a while. And a lot of companies which tend to actually borrow money um, in order to fund their business, for example, technology companies, uh, industrial companies which tend to be very capex heavy and they tend to borrow a lot of money um, in terms of their debt, um, in terms of loans and bonds. Uh, This could actually affect their, their operations or their their operating costs or their interest costs here. Mm. So this could actually affect 
profits in particular sectors where they tend to be more sensitive to interest rates. So technology industrial companies, for example, are actually one of them. Mm. Uh, companies which tend to have are lighter on their borrowings or lighter on their debt load uh, tends to be probably much easier in terms of their profitability. So I think it really depends on the sectors which we are looking at um, when it comes to the markets itself. Mm. Alright, we now shift gears over to China where we're seeing another boost in China's travel market as the Golden Week holiday looms large. Excuse me. The September 29 to October 6 holiday encompasses both the Mid-Autumn Festival as well as the National Day break. Now, more than 21 million people are expected to take flights in the space of eight days. And to put it into perspective, that's the equivalent of almost everyone in Australia getting on a plane in a little over just a week. Oh, wow. Now, Willie, I know it's almost fizzling out here, but what could be, you know, could this be China's reopening story that the global economy needs today? Mm. Um, fizzling out, I think this is probably, it could be actually the start because if you see, mm. um, many countries other than China, they have actually opened up their economy uh, much earlier yeah. uh, than China. So they actually took some time. They were sort of ahead of the country itself, whereas China only started its reopening at the late of last year. So mm. which means that this this could be actually a springboard um, to the reopening story here. And that's what, like what you said, then um, the global economy needs today because um, previously, you know, when I was in Hong Kong for an investor's trip, yeah. what... What, what I sort of see on the ground was that a lot of the mainland tourists have not really come out or, you know, start shopping in Hong Kong, primarily because a lot of their visas, you know, they were actually delayed. Applications of their visas to, to actually go out of the country has, has actually uh, been delayed. Mm. So while now, right now, as uh, we shift its gears to see China's travel market as the golden week holiday uh, coming in, this could actually be a pro for, 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 China, for the Chinese economy itself. Mm. Um, of course, on one hand, this is more of a domestic, the domestic economy would definitely actually see some riding on the tailwind of the travel. But on the other hand, you also see um, people traveling from China overseas as well. So this yeah. could be a positive point for the economy and for, for the global economy. Very interesting and probably lots of pent-up demand here, really. So then, it's probably on everyone's mind. How can investors play on demand and where can we see opportunities uh, from this uh, holiday? Yeah, so on one hand, you could look, you could be looking at um, travel, um, the, the travel sector. So airlines, for example, is actually one of the probably the big beneficiary uh, consumption place, so mm. spending. So as tourists travel out of China or within China itself, uh, if you're looking at, you know, one thing which I really, really like are uh, your essential products, your daily products, uh, luxury products, uh, people which are happy to actually spend on, uh, even entertainment as well. So mm. if you're looking at um, companies which own resorts, theme parks, hotels are probably one of the big drivers which I'll probably be looking at. Um, shopping malls, mm. which I like because that's definitely a um, um, hotbed for attraction for many of these tourists which are actually coming in. So um, this one week is definitely one one key which I'll be looking at. And another thing which I really like is actually mm. e-commerce online because as people travel, um, people also tend to want to spend things online. Mm. I mean, I'm not sure about yourself then, but you know, when it comes to the holiday season, you would definitely want, for me, I would definitely want to spend more. So mm. looking at e-commerce 
companies um, where they have a big platform of selling things online. That's something we should I'll probably be looking at. Oh my goodness, especially with uh, Christmas just, uh, I think, less than 100 days away. Okay, yes. I think of a lot, uh, <laughs> lots of things to spend. Well, anyways, let's take this conversation back home and now let's talk about where Singaporean investors are putting their money during this period of uncertainty. Just recently, it was reported by Knight Frank that Singapore became the biggest investor in Japan's real estate sector this year, lured by the yen's weakness as well as the growing demand in logistics and hospitality industries. In fact, we've also got GIC Chief Investment Officer, describing Japan as a very cheap market where value can be realized and with a very long way to run. Willie, are you on board with this? Yep. Uh, so this is something which is also a very interesting thing which I'm also looking at. Mm. So Japanese market, um, Japan assets. Um, and the reason why is number one, with interest rates all going up across the world, yeah. uh, you have Japan's interest rate at, you know, Right now, it's still at a very modest rate, despite the fact that um, the BOJ has been pretty hawkish uh, recently. And, you know, they have sort of remained its rates unchanged. So if you see short-term rates are actually put at minus uh, negative 0.1%. So a lot of the companies, you know, where they actually borrow money to actually fund their operations, for example, like REITs, properties, the borrowing cost is still relatively low compared mm-hmm. to many of the developed markets. For example, if you see um, REITs in Singapore, which owns Japanese assets, you will notice that many of their, much of their Boring cost is still roughly about 1% compared mm. to other REITs where their properties, you know, whether it's in Singapore, um, in Europe or in the US, their borrowing costs tend to be much higher between 2 to 3 plus percent. But wow. in Japan, you, you are looking at about 1 plus percent. So this makes it a very interesting proposition um, for institutional investors, for retail investors like myself, if we are looking into Japan um, as an attractive place for opportunities. Mm, certainly very modest there. Now, Willie, you know, foreign investments including Goldman Sachs and Blackstone have spent a combined $2 billion on hotel deals in Japan so far this year. But aside from the hospitality sector, are there any other sectors in Japan that's worth looking at today? Oh, yes, of course. Um, for me, I personally just came back from a Tokyo trip with my wow. family. And I'll tell you one thing then. Yeah. The, the biggest thing which I see is people are just shopping. You know, you have oh. queues everywhere, you know, from restaurants um, to shopping malls um, to retail fashion. Yeah. You know, almost everywhere is actually very crowded. And at least I'm just speaking for Tokyo, yeah. um, you know, where you have one third of Japan's population in that city. You, it is, I feel that, you know, this is, uh, you know, it's a very interesting place or interesting time to be in because mm. if you see consumption is actually one thing and you can see uh, many, many companies listed in Japan um, are actually very familiar to many of us here. So say, for example, if you're looking at Muji, mm. um, it's one of the highlights or a listed company in Japan. So probably... Consumption-related spending, discretionary spending, luxury spending in Japan will probably be something which I'll be looking at. Mm, All about spending, Willie. Now we're going to play a game of up or down and it's a very, very simple game. All you got to do is to guess whether a stock or topic is going to be an up or a down. Willie, are you ready? All right, let's go then. First on the list, we've got Bird. All right, um, Bird is down for me after the scooter company was delisted from the New York Stock Exchange after its stock collapsed and it will trade over the counter. Mm, Certainly a down for me as well. Let's move on over to... 
iPhone maker Apple. Oh, Apple is an up for me as it starts to scale up its production in India and it's also looking to actually invest about $40 billion um, of its production value um, overseas and also in India as well. So it's actually starting um, to manufacture, for example, its AirPod and it will launch its iPhone 15 this year where the iPhone 15 is actually manufactured in India. So this is actually a big start for India, uh, for Apple as it starts to move or diversify away some of its risk from China mm. um, into other parts of the Asian countries. Mm, certainly a big investment here for Apple. I'm going to go with an up as well. Let's move on over to Street Fighter Capcom. Oh, I'm a big I'm I'm a big fan of video games. Yeah. Then. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. <laughs> and Capcom is definitely an up for me after it sees game sales in yeah. India, um, passing those in China in in ten years. Yeah, I'm gonna go with an up for this as well. Gamers are not stopping for Capcom, so Capcom is gonna be an up. Let's move on over to Chinese EV maker Zikker. Yep. So Chinese EV maker Zikker is a down for me after it sweeps into Europe amidst a subsidy spate. So. The EV maker is banking on some extra momentum from its sister brands, uh, such as Volvo Car, to push into Europe. Mm. As this Chinese ma- Chinese car maker's um, ambitious move into um, the region, uh, sort of in the crosshair for global trade tensions here. Mm. I think I'm going to go with an up for this one though, because it's uh, I mean at least according to the CEO as well, it's an important head start for them as well to break into the the Europe market. Let's move on over last on the list. We've got Singpost and SBS Transit. Mm. So SBS Transit and Singpost will be an up for me. Mm. Um, on one hand, you know you are looking at. Singpost as a business where it has been disrupted by e-commerce so they probably have been struggling with um, some profits um, and of course higher operating costs Um, SBS Transit at the same time, you know, they actually have to deal with higher inflation costs. So you're looking at higher labor costs, higher operating costs, you know, in order to actually maintain the buses. So in SBS Transit and Singpost, now that they have increased their their fares and their postage fees, um, this would be an up for me. I'm going to go with the down for consumers because it obviously translates to more expensive <laughs> traveling fares. I think I'm probably going to take the bike instead. But anyways, now Willie, let's just talk about the investment bites. And today, mm. we, at least for this week, we're going to have a small little segment with Willie called the Investment Bites with Willie. And I'm going to get his, his opinion on how you should be investing today. Now, Willie, today's question is, if you had $10,000 to spare today, how or where you, would you invest Mm. Um, okay, good point then. Mm. If let's say if I were to start investing today, you know, if I'm a beginner investor and yep. if I have $10,000 to spare starting out investing, the thing which I'll be looking at is I'll be first looking at my own local homegrown market. And the reason why is because it's much easier mm-hmm. um, to be looking at things which are familiar mm. where, you know, we can go out, see, touch and feel some of this stuff. So mm. in Singapore, you know, you have our financial institutions, you have the banks, you have the REITs. And of course, you also have some of the meat cat companies, you know, like um, grocery grocery companies, mm. food and beverages. So where I'll start putting my money is things which I am actually familiar with, uh, things which I actually use in my daily life. Yep. So if I'll think about it, what are some of the food which I eat? What are some of the products which I use? Mm. Um, that's where I will start to actually go 
sort, sort of go deeper in it. Okay. So this is what Warren Buffett always likes to talk about, investing within your circle of competence. Mm. So I would try to stay within that circle of competence, meaning that for me personally, I probably would stay probably away from things like pharmaceutical companies because I might not be very familiar with, for example, your FDA approvals. Mm. Um, I, I'm not very familiar with the generic drugs or the patented drugs, you know, when it will actually end. Mm. So these are some of the things which I might not be looking at. Okay. But what where I will be looking at and where I'll actually put this $10,000 is things where I tend to be more familiar with spending. So like what you have mentioned, right? It's all about spending, spending, spending. Mm. Um, the things which I'm actually familiar with, uh, this is something which I probably want to look at when you know I'm starting out investing. So if you're looking at sectors itself, I might be looking at consumer-related companies, companies where they sell your products. Um, say, for example, your phones and yep. these little semiconductor chips which are inside some of these phones. Interesting. Wow. Thank you so much for that breakdown, Willie. And yeah, it's always a fabulous time with you. We'll catch you again tomorrow, same time, same place. Meanwhile, continue to keep it right here with us on Money FM 89.3. We've got so much more coming right up. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.